Welcome to Keep the Faith, the bi-weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. I hope that all who fasted yesterday had an easy and meaningful one, and I hope that everyone is safely enduring the extreme heat we're living with these days. The topic for this week is the existential threat Israel's leaders have created by their undemocratic judicial overhaul that also is a dangerous violation of Jewish law, starting with the Torah. The state of Israel exists, of course, but it may no longer be a Jewish state, at least not as the Torah understands what a Jewish state should be, and its very existence itself may be imperiled. That understanding of what a Jewish state is supposed to be is strewn throughout the Torah, including in the Torah portion we read this Shabbat, Parashat Vat Hanan, which comes right after Tisha B'Av, the most mournful day in Jewish history. In this week's Parsha, Israel was warned what would happen if it rejected God's law. Quote, you will perish quickly from the land. You will be destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, unquote. History has proven those words to be true. Israel abandoned God's law in the days of the first temple. It was destroyed. The kingdom of Judah fell, and the first exile began. Israel again spurned God's law in the days of the second temple. It too was destroyed. The second Jewish commonwealth fell, and the second exile began. In 1948, God kept the promise that we read in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, back on May 13th. Said God, quote, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, and even my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land, unquote. Before God made that promise, though, God made it clear that Israel's presence in the land is conditional. Quote, if you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, I will grant peace in the land. Your army shall give chase to your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall give chase to a hundred, and a hundred of you shall give chase to ten thousand. Your enemies shall fall before you, Unquote. There was no hyperbole in that statement, as history has also shown. In 1948, seven Arab nations attacked the newborn state with its newly formed and untried army, augmented by refugees from the Shoah who had never held weapons before, and they routed those invaders. Arab armies were routed a second time in the 1956 Sinai campaign, a third time in miraculous fashion in the June 1967 Six-Day War, and a fourth time in the 1973 Yom Kippur War. On the other hand, God warned, quote, If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, you shall be routed by your enemies, and your foes shall dominate you. Your land shall become a desolation, and your cities a ruin. Your enemies shall consume you, unquote. Sadly, beginning this past Monday, just three days before Tisha B'Av, Israel's leaders not only violated God's law, but they also spit in the face of that law. Specifically, one law they spurned will be read on August 19th in Parashat Shofetim. Quote, justice, justice, tzedek, tzedek, shall you pursue. 
that you may thrive and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you, unquote. Understand what tzedek tzedek means. As I've stated in the past, the essence of what the Torah expects of us is summed up by the doubling up of that word tzedek. It's the Torah's prime directive. Tzedek means so many things, including righteousness, justice, truth, purity, honesty, sincerity, kindness, virtue, and piety. By doubling up the word tzedek, we're being told that God wants a world built on righteousness, justice, truth, purity, honesty, sincerity, kindness, equity, virtue, and piety. Israel, as God's kingdom of priests, was assigned to lead the way. Instead, because of the actions taken this week by its leaders, Israel is heading away from that concept of tzedek, that concept of justice. Israel's judges, the Torah tells us, must, quote, govern the people with mishpat tzedek, unquote, meaning justice that is righteous, and their authority is absolute. That's because the Jewish state, the Torah envisions, must be ruled by a government of checks and balances, with its judges having the final say over what constitutes an act of tzedek. As the Torah puts it, once the judges have ruled, quote, you shall carry out the verdict announced. You must not deviate from the verdict they announce to you, either to the right or to the left, unquote. Immediately after the Torah commands this, it makes clear that the political leaders of the nation are subject to the same law as everyone else, the Torah including the Torah's insistence on our abiding by the decisions issued by Israel's judges. In a series of votes beginning on Monday, Israel's Knesset showed its contempt for God's law when it voted to strip Israel's judiciary of the very powers God gave to it. The Knesset did so in several ways. First, it gave itself the power to overrule any decision by the judiciary that it does not like. So much for not deviating from the verdict the judges announce. Second, Israel doesn't have a constitution. Instead, it's ruled by a series of what is known as basic laws. And a two-thirds majority is required to pass such a law. If, however, the Supreme Court voided a basic law it found to be undemocratic, denying non-Jews citizenship, for example, or banning parties on the left from standing for election, the Knesset gave itself the power to reimpose that law by a simple majority vote. Third, the Knesset voted to change the composition of the committee that appoints judges. The current committee is made up of equal representatives from the Knesset, the Supreme Court, and the Israel Bar Association. The new law gives the Knesset a majority of seats on the committee. It now has the power to pack Israel's courts with judges it knows will always rule in its favor. A major reason for these, quote, judicial reforms, unquote, as they claim to be, is the fact that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is currently on trial on three corruption charges, bribery, fraud, and breach of trust, all of which are charges that violate the law in Parshat Shoftim. While Netanyahu denies all the charges, the evidence presented so far is voluminous and damning. That evidence includes written documents, recorded conversations, and testimony from people involved in each of the three alleged crimes. In one case, Bibi allegedly received gifts from two wealthy businessmen in exchange for favors. 
Both men have testified to that, and their testimony was supported by financial records. In a second case, Bibi reportedly offered to introduce legislation that would limit the circulation of one of Israel's newspapers, Israel Hayom, and to pressure the Israel Broadcasting Authority to cancel the newspaper's broadcast license. The offer was made to the publisher of the newspaper Yediot Achronot, Israel's largest daily, in exchange for favorable media coverage. The publisher has testified to that for the prosecution, and his testimony was augmented by recordings of three conversations between Bibi and the publisher. The third case alleges that Bibi offered to help the telecommunications giant Bezek to obtain regulatory approval from the IBA for a merger with another telecommunications company. This, too, was in exchange for favorable coverage, in this case from Bezek's news website, Walla. The case also alleges that Bibi offered to pressure the IBA to cancel a competitor's broadcast license. Among the witnesses testifying for the prosecution was someone privy to these proffers, the former CEO of Walla. The cases against Bibi are very strong, as I've said about him in the past. Bibi will do anything he needs to do to stay in power, regardless of what is in the best interests of the state. He doesn't have an ideological bone in his body. Bibi made deals after the last election with racists and extremists, including religious extremists, in order to return to office so as to pass a law that would block his conviction. The Knesset's actions make that a virtual certainty because now it can override any conviction and keep Bibi in power. That also means, though, that the Knesset can pass laws that are undemocratic, that violate the Torah's insistence on tzedek tzedek, and that undermine the Torah's insistence on Israel being a just, honorable, and equitable society for all people, including, quote, the stranger in your midst, unquote, as the Torah insists over 50 times in one form or another. Already, the Knesset is considering a bill that would make Torah study the equivalent of military service, thereby absolving students who spend their days poring over sacred texts from sharing the burden of having to defend the state. The undemocratic nature of these reforms is why over 10,000 Israeli reservists so far have said that they would defy orders to serve. They said they would not serve as long as the judicial overhaul remained on the book. As one prominent reservist said this week, quote, We had faith in the government, but the government broke us. I will not volunteer to serve in a dictatorial state, unquote. This undemocratic judicial overhaul is why there have been demonstrations against it every week since January 7th which was the day after the proposed reforms were announced. These demonstrations have been serious in terms of their size and intensity. As many as 100,000 people have taken part in them at times, and some demonstrations have turned violent. This is also why medical professionals held a 24-hour strike just this past Tuesday. Understand what all this means. First, there may not be enough soldiers to defend the state from attack if too many reservists refuse to be called up. According to IDF spokesman Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, 
having to rely on so many fewer reservists will do, quote, damage to the army's competence, unquote. Further damage would be done if yeshiva students in the ritually rigid community were excluded from the IDF's ranks, assuming that the just-introduced bill mentioned earlier becomes law. Israel's ritually rigid community represents about 12% of its Jewish population, and it's growing faster than the general population. Second, perhaps even more ominously, a very bloody civil war is a strong possibility if hundreds of thousands of protesting Israelis decide to take matters into their own hands in order to undo the Knesset's undemocratic actions. That will give the Palestinian Arab Rejectionist Front and its allies, the Iranians and the Syrians, among others, an incentive to invade the country. The Torah is quite clear on this. Violate God's law, end quote, you will perish quickly from the land, unquote. The Knesset, by its undemocratic judicial overhaul, has put Israel's existence at risk. Efforts are underway in the courts to undermine what the Knesset has done, but to what end, now that the Knesset has the power to override court rulings that go against it? If that occurs, heaven forbid, it will only lead to disaster. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcast. Go to www.shammai.org, www.shammai.org, and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish Standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. Next week's column is based on this podcast episode. Shabbat Shalom, stay cool, and stay healthy. Keep wearing those N95 masks in group settings, indoors and outdoors, no matter who tells you otherwise. And above all, stay safe. <laughs>